Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy. I am here in my studio with Amy Austin in her studio. Amy, after. How are you, Amy? I'm good here in the Brooklyn Bureau. There you go. Um, and Andrea Smith, technology guru extraordinaire in New Jersey. I'm like making hand gestures, like I'm introducing you onto a stage. <laughs> Hi, Andrea. Hi. Hi from the New Jersey Bureau. Um, it's been a really long time since we've recorded. And I want to thank our audience for sort of putting up with repeats and hanging in there with us this summer as we took a little hiatus. Um, but now we are back and we are super excited for this first episode back. We have a special guest. We are continuing our college series, which is only our second, but we plan on having a slew of them before the end of the year. Um, And today we thought we would tackle the parent side of what it means when your kid gets older and you start looking at colleges and you send them to college. Um, Believe it or not, the parenting discussion does not get quieter. (laughs) It might even get louder. So today we're really excited. We have a special guest. We have Lisa Heffernan, who is the co-founder of grown and flown, which is the go-to website and Facebook community for parents. I think kids, honestly, like 14 and up, not even college <laughs> because nobody talks about their teenagers. Um, and so when you find a safe semi-anonymous space to do that in, you're really excited. Yeah. Cause the teenagers get really mad. They get really mad. Um, and I think parents are more reluctant to talk about their kids in some respects because you feel like you're violating a privacy. So when you see other parents doing all that, you feel better. Um, so, Lisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, we were First of all, I can't believe I didn't know you were in New York all this time. Which when I said to you, like, what time zone are you here? And you're like, I'm in New York City. I'm like, oh, I'm in New York City. Okay. Um I wanted to talk, so you co-founded the site, and how many years has it been now? Um, About six and a half years ago, we started the site. At the time, uh, Mary Dell, my co-founder, and I had kids in high school and just starting college. Wow. So you guys, so you went through it. Yep. (laughs) And then you saw what it was like. Exactly. Um, And it has grown into a tremendous community. Did you think there'd be this demand for this? We had no idea. Um, we weren't in any online communities ourselves, so we didn't really have the experience. I think people, we had our kids in the, uh, in the 90s, and I think people who had their kids in the 90s weren't involved in as many online sites and as many online parenting communities as the kids who were born in this century. And so one of the things that we hadn't really anticipated is that we would reach a new parent Um, We would reach a parent who may not be digitally native in their lives, but they were digitally native in their parenting. So from the moment their children were born in the 21st century, they were accessing online resources to help them. And that changed our site entirely. Once we got out of those kids who were born in the late 90s, like our own, (laughs) um, we hit the parents who went looking for something to help them with their 15-year-old because they had always been online. Um, And that's sort of been our transformation. Yeah, we have a different parent. That's really cool. So you've also seen the evolution of the parent and what they expect sort of from technology and their relationship with their child as their child leaves the nest. Um, That was probably different than even just six years ago. Yeah, I think um, the parenting isn't so different. I think that change happened maybe in the 70s and 80s. So people who had their kids in the 90s and then 2000s, the parenting was similar. And I think, you know, our tagline is parenting never ends. And what's what we've seen happening, um, there's a lot of obviously bad press about helicopter parenting, slow path parenting. It's all like mechanical devices, um, hovercraft <laughs> parenting. Um, my favorite is 
at droid parent, not droid, uh, the, the things that have drone parenting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drone parenting. Um, but you know, that's the really negative way of looking at it. The really positive way of looking at it is we have a generation of kids who are attached and intertwined with their parents in the way I would argue that parents and kids have been throughout history. Our kids would have grown up in the same villages. They would have reached adulthood in the towns that they were born in. Um, They would have stayed connected to us. If you look at other countries, that's the way families operate. That's the way families operated in this country until the end of the Second World War. And there's this period of time, I think, from the end of the Second World War to the beginning of the 21st century when parenting was really different and the expectations were different. And I think what we're coming around to where adult kids or teenage kids in close contact and emotionally close and connected um, is kind of just harkens back to the way we've always been and families have always been. Um, And technology sort of allowed us to go back in time in a strange sort of way. But I see it as a really positive thing. That's so interesting. I've never heard someone take that historical perspective. I actually like find that so fascinating and correct. Um, And I, I love that. I mean, I even when you, I grew up in Brooklyn and where I grew up in Brooklyn at that time, families still had the grandparents downstairs and then the family. And and I was always so jealous of that because we live very far from our extended family. It's really interesting that you bring that up because I think parents are very anxious about feeling like maybe their kids are too connected and then they're made to feel bad about it. If your kid texts you every day from college, that's weird. If your kid, you know, needs you that weekend, if you have a total freak out that now you're an empty nester, you got to get over it. You have no life. Um, so it's interesting to hear that maybe we're fighting a natural instinct because we're just made to feel bad. Well, if you think about those families that you're describing, the, the, the multi-generational living situation, nobody ever accused that mom, that 30-year-old mom with her 50-year-old or 60-year-old, her mother living in the same house or in the same block, who's the mother of young children. Nobody ever accused her of not having grown up because she talked to her mother every day. That's just the way families operated. That was that was that was a typical thing. So I think we had this fifty-year period that's an aberration where you talk to your parents once a week, and that was considered closeness. And you caught them up on a few things in your life in twenty minutes. You hung up the phone and you went on. That's that's not the norm. That's not the way families have operated for all of time. So I think we are circling back a little bit to the way families have always been. And that's a really really interesting way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and when I lived in Brooklyn, I'm picturing the same row of brownstones, you know, with the a very Italian neighborhood with, you know, the kids on one level, the parents, you know, Nona, up, just, yeah, they all grew up every day seeing each other and talking to each other. And everybody reached adulthood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse. So now, now that this expectation in, I, I think, many layers of our society is that your child is going to go away to college, right? Like, and if they don't go away to college, people think that's weird that like, you're not pushing them out of the nest. So, so let's just say you're following this norm. Your kid's going to college. This is the expectation. What are the big concerns and fears you see from parents when they're taking that big step? Okay. Um, well, to start with, we see a lot of families where kids are doing community college for two years. So that, um, kids are moving on with their lives, but many times, um, uh, largely because of money and sometimes just because kids need a little more time. Community college is that interim step. Um, the thing that parents are worried a lot about is whether they've taught their kids everything, whether they've done everything that they needed to do. Are the kids really ready 
for that next step. We get a lot, we have this rush of anxiety in 11th and 12th grade parents about whether the kids are really ready to go on with the next stage. Um, by and large, the kids are, but by and large, this is the parents' anxiety, not the kids' problem. Um, sometimes we haven't taught them the practical things. I don't know if you've seen the memes going around right now about um, kids not being able to register to vote because they don't know how to put a stamp on their um, yep. on the envelope. I will tell you, literally three minutes before we came on tonight, um, I'm having this conversation with my son who just started his first job, one of my sons. So he's 22 years old. He's out of college. He works. He has his own apartment. And he literally said to me, oh, my God, don't make me do this. I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> you go to work all day. You work in tech. You have an apartment. You cook meals. You drive a car. But you, you know, registering to vote is apparently putting him over the edge. But, like, um, why would they know how to do that? I don't think my kids have ever seen me put a stamp on an envelope and yeah. go to the to the post office or to the mailbox. Like, I, we're, we're incredulous. But, like, where would they have learned that from? But what we do, I think, is we conflate a lot of those small little things with being an adult. Being an adult doesn't mean that you know how to put a stamp on an envelope <laughs> because it's not really an important skill anymore. Right. Um, and being being an adult means it doesn't necessarily mean that you're married. I mean, the kids are getting married later. They're moving in with each other later. Their relationships are more informal for longer periods. All those things that we're seeing the demographics around. Being an adult is, you know, being able to make decisions yourself. We're not looking at the sort of the important pillars to be able to support yourself, to be able to or be making steps towards supporting yourself. So I think we have to look at being an adult has changed in the way and our world has changed. And I think we need a new set of rubrics for us. You know, the rubrics might have been, um, you know, that we knew how to write a check. Uh, this kid doesn't even have a checkbook. Why would he have a checkbook? Right. Who's he, he going to write a check to? He Venmo's everybody. Um, so we need to change some of the, some of the discussion about what be, what becoming an adult is. But parents worry about many of the practical things, um, and they don't need to worry because the minute their kid hits the laundry room, they're going to start texting them and showing them pictures of the washing <laughs> machine and saying, "These are the dials. What do I do?" So teaching your child to do the laundry is not how you. Pre- pre- them for college, teaching your kid how to deal with disappointments, how to deal with the fact that they may be alone, how to deal with the fact that they're going to have to really put themselves out there to meet new people. They're going to have to find interests. They're going to have to know what they're good at, that they're going to need some confidence. All of those are the stumbling blocks um, that kids face in the beginning of college. It's not the laundry room because you're there and YouTube's there and it'll get done. So we try and tell parents to kind of reflect on the things that we know cause kids to feel uncomfortable, to stumble, or even to want to leave college and focus on those. And most of those have to do with connecting with other people, finding professors that matter to you, finding causes and and interests that matter to you, that sort of thing. So we try and redirect the conversation to the things. There's a lot of research around what causes kids to do well in college. Parents should pay attention to that research and focus their kids that way. Do you feel like schools are paying attention to that research too and doing a better job of helping kids find those things? Yes, much better. They're completely focused on it. So these, you know, go a couple days early and have these uh, horrible ice-breaking activities <laughs> forced to talk to people. But in the context of all being freshmen and coming from different places, it's actually a blessing. Um, they know what causes kids to do well and to thrive. And they, you know, kids are often offered um, small seminar classes freshman year. That's one of the things that we know is, is, is a marker for success. They're offered lots of advisors, you know, both resident advisors and, and uh, academic advisors. Um, so they, schools know the things that help kids thrive. Um, 
we, we just, freshman year can be such a stumbling block for so many kids. We just need them to find the comfort, find their people, find their professors, find their interests. And in time, they'll find their footing that way. So when people are looking at colleges, um, which is now big, this is a big touring time right yeah. now, um, especially for seniors trying to make up their, 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 their list. list. Um, what do you think are some great questions to ask on the tours that sort of relate to this kind of stuff or how you're the important questions that are beyond the the typical, just what do I need to get in? Questions. Yeah. So a lot of parents, <laughs> I've been on a lot of these tours because I have three kids. Um, a lot of parents ask a lot of factual questions and there's no point in asking factual questions because first of all, they're all online. And second of all, there's something called the common data set. So if you want to know any facts about a college that matter for admissions, go straight to Google common data set, Ithaca College. And you will find the common data set for the college. And when you want to compare two colleges, put the two common data sets next to each other and you've got an apples and apples to comparison by and large. So information about financial aid, information about what kind of kids they accept, waiting lists, all factual stuff. So you shouldn't focus on factual stuff. One of the things you have at your disposal on a tour is you have a student who goes to that college. And it's really important, I think, to ask them, how do the kids spend their time? What do what activities are the most popular on this campus? What kind of students thrive most at, at this college? Um, what made you unhappy here? And what was that the you know the most joyful thing you found when you arrived here as a student? So the kinds of questions that you can't find the answers to online are the kind of questions I think parents should be asking because that there's nowhere else to find that except standing on that campus talking to students at that campus. That's great advice. I, it's interesting because we've only done one college tour and every question was factual from the audience, especially from the kids in the audience too. It's all there in black and white. You know, right. it was a time in which you went on these tours and you needed to ask those questions because we didn't have the internet, but we do. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so how do, do you reconcile, you are dealing with 17 year olds. How do you reconcile what you as a parent know because you have the life yeah. <laughs> behind you and what your child thinks is important or what your child might be attracted to in a school um, that you might sort of know in your heart is not the really important thing. Um, but your child now is set on, on this thing, whether it's the name or the football team or what have you. I think that it's a hard thing to do for a 17 year old and 18 year old, but I think the thing to do is to ask them to try and project themselves forward till they're 22 years old. What will they have wanted to get out of this experience? Um, and, and find out the things, the places that they hope to go in their life and find out the universities or the colleges that match with that. One of the things I think kids get really tripped up on is, you know, I want to major in X and this school has X. About 80% of kids change their major from what they thought they were going to do freshman year. Really? So yeah, it's, it's a huge number. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so one of the most important things I think is to help them go to a place where there are a lot of options. They may not be the same person socially at the end of four years. They may not have the same interests academically. All three of my kids, one, two, three, all change majors. Hmm. Not at all what they thought they were going to. And they're very typical. Um, so they need academic options. They need social options. You know, they may have gone through high school in a very small, close-knit situation. But that doesn't mean that's who they're going to be forever. And they may thrive in a situation where they have larger social um, opportunities. But also they need... Um, opportunities with clubs and activities and sports and things like that to explore. Um, I think what happens that I think the common, most common mistake is, is looking at the 17 year old and finding the college that will be good for them six months from now. But we really need the college that's good for them four years from now. 
Because if your student is bored or unhappy at the end of their first year and they, the school doesn't have the, the choices or the resources or the uh, major that they're interested in, then it wasn't a good decision. So really, it's about finding places where your kid can grow um, academically, socially, in terms of their interests. You want to find the place that has possibilities um, so that in four years, they've, they've expanded in, in all of those different ways. Um, so you're not, I, I think both parents and kids have to remember, they're not looking at the college for the 18-year-old, they're looking at the college for the 22-year-old. But, you know, I think that's so hard. I think it's hard enough for 17 or 18-year-olds to figure out what do I want to do with my life? Yes. You know, what do I think I want to do? Um, and I ran into that with my own son who went in as one major, picked a very small school, and then two years later decided, hmm, maybe this isn't what I want to do. And just as you said, there weren't the options. Um, and he stayed there because it, he just didn't want to go through the hassle of applying, reapplying yeah. and moving and, and, you know, wound up doing something else that interested him. But I think it's so hard for kids at that age, not just to figure out, you know, what do I like now? What do I think I want to do with the rest of my life? But to project themselves four years ahead and to think about, am I going to be someone who likes to go to the football game or am I going to join a sorority or fraternity? Um, so I don't know how you motivate kids to, to really try to put themselves in that mindset. You're, you're absolutely right that it is really hard for them to do it, and they wouldn't do it naturally. But it's you, I think you were asking me what can parents do. That is, to my mind, one of the most important things parents can do. So you've actually kind of outlined it. Talk to them about that. Do you think that you would want to do X, Y, and Z? Do you think there's a chance you could want to do? And as we're discussing schools and comparing, because many kids are fortunate to come down to the point where they have a choice between schools. So that's just a wonderful thing. You've applied to more than one school. Kids apply to a lot of schools now. So often they're given a choice. And that is one of the things you can bring into the choice. Um, you know, this school offers you so many things that you don't think you want now, but you might know. And I think when we plant that in their minds, they can see how they've changed from when they were 14 or 15 when they start a high school. I think you ask them to look backwards. Think of yourself when you were 14 or 15. See how different, because many kids grow, do a lot of growing up in those years. Thank God. <laughs> um, see how much you've grown up and changed in these years. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but this is going to happen again. Your 18-year-old self will also be a gr more grown-up person. Um, how can you put yourself in a place where you have options? Um, you may not want them this year. You may not want them next year, but you may want them in four years. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I also think kids, they're so influenced by other kids around them. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's certain schools where certain colleges are really popular out of that high school. Um, and certainly guidance counselors tend to steer kids. I know here in New York City, you end up hearing about the same 10 schools like over and over and over. And you're like, that's it. That doesn't help anyone. Um, how do you help parents sort of bust out of that without having, and maybe we should talk a little bit about this idea of like having an outside college counselor, having an, which I think is another trap that many parents fall into of like, I need more help than this. And then they hire someone who gives them the same list of 10 schools that, you know, they would have found anyway, you know, yeah. how, how do they navigate that, that choice system? Well, that's a big question. And it's often for many families, um, a financial question because the counselors that you're talking about are extremely expensive. So it's really a small number of people, um, yeah. who have that option available to them. Um, but what the option that is available is the internet, which is full of, you know, more information than any of us could possibly take in. Um, Spending a lot of time researching schools in um, databases is extremely helpful. So you may go to a school where everybody says, you know, the three best schools for X, Y, and Z 
or let's just pick something. The three best schools for civil engineering are A, B, and C. And that's all anyone talks about. And that's all the counselors, as you say, at school are talking about. But if you go to the College Board website, and there are other websites, and, and we can find them and perhaps add them to this, um, you can do some searches and you can uncover D, E, F, G, H, which may not be lesser schools. They just may be out of your region geographically. They may be schools um, that just a lot of these things are just habits. They're almost, mm-hmm. you know, patterns that schools have fallen into. I know this has happened with my kids. They had schools suggested to them just because a lot of other kids went to the, from their high school to those schools. Um, that is definitely not a good enough criteria to ever go to a school. Um, so parents just need to dig deeper. And um, a lot of counselors discourage parents from getting involved in the search. I think this is a great place for parents to get involved with their kids. So sit down with the laptop, the two of you saying, Let's look at 40 schools. Let's find a list of 40 schools to start with. You're not going to apply to 40 schools. You're probably going to apply to six or eight schools. Let's get a really big group. Let's cast a really broad net and find the schools that have the criteria that we're interested in. These searches are all fantastic because you can throw your criteria in about geography, about size of school, or about the kind of aid the school has to offer, something like that. No, that's great advice because it really is, you, you really do feel like, and you see the same people, everyone's doing on the, the same tours and it, no matter where you are geographically, right? Every area has those certain schools that everyone's looking at. Yeah. Um, so that's great advice. And we'll definitely take those links from you. <laughs> we'll, okay. add, we'll add them when we write up this post for sure. And so what do you, and you have such a vast community. What's the biggest question you think you get from parents who are preparing this either preparing for the college process or in that first year? Um, the biggest uh, question in the first year is how are kids, how can I help my kid who's unhappy? Um, mm. the, um, pers- the UCLA does a survey of um, freshmen that they've been doing for 50 years. Um, they survey large numbers of freshmen every single year and over 60% of freshmen are homesick. So it's a, there's a very good chance that you'll be in a situation where you'll have a kid who's at some point really, really unhappy. Um, that may last 24 hours. Uh, it may last weeks. It may last, you know, for a chunk of the first semester. But for a lot of parents, even those of us who went to college ourselves and had that experience ourselves, it throws us. And um, we think, my goodness, we, we looked at the colleges. You applied to the colleges. This is a place you wanted to go. You worked so hard to get here. Why are you so unhappy? Um, and we try and tell parents it's really, really normal. For most kids, it's passing. You just need to be an ear during that time. You need to take their phone calls and take their iChats or whatever, however they're communicating with you, and just keep reminding them that they're not the only one that feels that way. Social media has really, really done kids a disservice in the beginning of their freshman year of college because all they see on their social media is the wonderful experiences their high school mm-hmm. friends are having at other colleges. Hmm. Well, what in the world are they going to put up? Right. <laughs> the party and right. the band and the, so they're inundated by these images of the people they've grown up with having these amazing experiences and they think they're not having them. Um, so it's super important to, to be that listening ear and to remind them that the experience that they're having, that homesickness they might be having, those slight misgivings that it's too hard for me or I picked the wrong school or everybody here is fill in the blank um, is, is the norm. That's so true. I just actually had this conversation with my cousin last night whose daughter started um, this, you know, the school that she really, really, really wanted to go to. And since day one, she's been texting 
I'm not happy. I want to come home. This isn't right for me. She was a straight A student in high school and she's not doing well, you know, not applying herself, not putting herself out there. So exactly what you're saying. And it is that kind of, you know, just listening and being sympathetic and saying, but stick it out and keep trying and put yourself out there. Um, And in that sense, I think that technology is helpful because it could just be a little text message, you know, yeah. like a little exchange and it doesn't have to be a long, dramatic phone call, yes. you know, and, and get emotional. Yeah. And there's some constructive things you can do. If you remember anything about having had a similar experience yourself, I think it's really helpful for kids to hear because what they see you as, as somebody who has perhaps graduated college and has found some success in your life, they don't know that freshman year you felt the same. So if there's anything, even if it's not actually freshman year, if you have another experience, a first job that you thought I am going to get fired, this is not working. If you can relate that experience to them, I think it's really helpful. The other thing is just some practical advice. A student like you're describing, your niece, may never have had any um, academic help. She just may have been one of the brightest kids at her school and she managed it herself. It is a totally different way of learning. We all remember it. College is an extremely, extremely individual experience where you're expected to take a lot of responsibility from your learning in a way you weren't in high school. Kids like that now sometimes need a tutor, some advice, a remedial session, whatever. Remind them that the school has those resources, that they are almost always free, that they are intended for all the kids, and that perhaps they should seek that out. And sometimes just those little practical reminders, reminding them to sleep. They're not sleeping enough. Reminding them that they love to exercise and they have got to stop, you know, what sitting in their room, staring at the wall, fretting, get out and take a run. There's a lot of sort of practical things that we can remind them of because we know them really well. Um, one of the girls, one high school girl who wrote for us, uh, sorry, college girl who wrote for us, described it as you need a constant in in high, in college. So your constant could be, honestly, it could be the daytime soap opera that you watch for a half hour every day. It can be a video game that you always watch. It can be a run you love to take. It can be the frappuccino that's your favorite thing. But whatever it is, sometimes we need to go back to that kind of square one, reboot, you know, listen to that song or that mixtape that was, you know, that kind of helped us through. Um, sometimes it's just, you need a nap in the afternoon. You know, you don't, you never nap in the afternoon in, um, high school, college kids nap sometimes. Right. <laughs> uh, it's a thing because they stay up all hours of the night. So it may just be that you say, you know what, try and take a nap for a half hour every afternoon at two o'clock. If you can, that may be all the kid needs. So, um, we can, we can give those practical reminders. And that can also maybe be a clue as to how the parent can help. Like if the kid is feeling really homesick or really lost, they can think of that one thing that they can send them or provide for them that will maybe help be that constant and remind them of home without, you know, them needing to come home. Yes, exactly. It's really interesting. My my daughter, they have a sort of famous valedictorian from a couple of years ago who she got into all Ivy, all the Ivy. She got into Stanford. She got in every, literally everywhere and picked Harvard. And she came back to talk to the students. And some of them said, what do you wish you had known your freshman year? And she said that I could ask for help. Oh, yeah. Because she had been valedictorian, like everything was, she had aced high school and she got to Harvard where everyone was brilliant. And she said she didn't realize that a lot of these kids who came from really well-established private schools were used to going to office hours, were used to like had those relationships with teachers and in public school, you don't have that. And it didn't even occur to her that other students were getting that help Hmm. or that office hours were something you should do. She thought it was like, you know, a show that you didn't know what you couldn't keep up. And I think the students were stunned that that was her answer, you know? (laughs) Um, So it just goes to show like it's hard for them. It's hard for them to learn how to reach out. 
Well, because they, it's, it's a big test and they don't want to look like they failed the test. Yeah. Right. And this is, as I said, this is where social media is failing them also, because they're, they're seeing this version of everybody else's college, their high school student friends, college lives. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously a filtered vision of what they're experiencing. Right. Well, this has been amazing and great. And thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us today. I'm so glad you could do this. <laughs> it's That's super timely. It's so fun. This is um, a topic very near and dear to my heart. Grown and Flown has been um, this amazing experience for us and I hope for our community. I think it definitely has. And we'll put links to everything we talked about. And right. if you want to shoot us more, I'm sure everyone would love it. And obviously we'll put links to Grown and Flow and into thank the you. Facebook group. Um, but thank you so much. This has just been a really informative and great conversation. My pleasure. It's great joining you. Nice to meet thank you all. You. Thanks thank for you. joining us. Bye. 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 We are back with our Bites of the Week. I feel like we haven't done this in so long. We um, haven't. We haven't. <laughs> um, I feel like we should have a whole meal. Uh, <laughs> all right, Amy, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, I We haven't done it in so long that I actually had a hard time choosing just one because it's like, oh, my God, all the stuff that I read and watched and listened to over the summer. But um, I did choose one, and it's, it's um, part of another podcast. Um, you know, I've managed all these years listening to podcasts without – joining any of their like special Patreon groups or, um, you know, Slate has all those like, I'm like, I, I can't join Slate's thing. I don't need more. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I already listened to too many. I don't want another segment from each show, <laughs> but one of them finally got me. Um, I started listening to the Bowery boys when it was your bite of the week, like three years ago, Rebecca. Yeah. And I became hooked really fast. And they just announced that they're going to be having a special monthly podcast just for their patrons. Um, It's going to be a movie club where every month they discuss a New York-centric movie. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. I heard that and I was like, all right, I'm in. You got me. Here's my credit card. And it's not expensive. If you join at their lowest level, which is the New Amsterdam level, it's a dollar a month. Dollar oh my God, I'm totally doing that. Yeah, so I joined uh, last night and um, the first episode is coming out, I believe on Friday and it's going to be Taxi Driver, which I've never seen. So what? I know. Amy, I've never seen that. Taxi Driver. I, I, Go stream it this yeah. weekend. No, that's that's like going to be my homework before Friday so that I can can listen to the podcast and participate. So I'm really excited for that. Like the ones that they have listed that they're going to do are like Do the Right Thing, King Kong, When Harry Met wow. Sally, Brooklyn, All About Eve, um, On the Town, wow. Gangs of New York, like just great movies. And they're awesome. and I listen to other movie podcasts too, but these guys, they're these two hosts are so thoughtful and I just, I can't wait to see their spin on it. They do so much research. Yeah. That's why I love them. Like, you know, they spend that whole month like going through archives and they're yes. not just like winging their opinion. No. No, they're awesome. awesome. Oh, I'm totally gonna check that out. All right, Andrea. So I've been playing with gadgets. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> in, in all this time, lots of gadgets. Um, I don't know if I mentioned to you guys, I, I know um, Amy and I saw it at CES, the Lenovo smart display, which is basically a Google assistant with a video screen. Mm-hmm. like the Amazon Echo show. show. It was right. very pretty. It was very pretty. I loved it. I, I think I may have mentioned it already. So I have been playing with the JBL Link View, which is 
almost the same, although it, it's not as pretty, I have to say, and it's a little bigger footprint. Um, but what it does have that I think is a better is amazing sound because it's a JBL speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if this is the kind of thing you like in your kitchen, and I will say for people who follow recipes on video, unlike Amy, who just makes all her own stuff. <laughs> I like a video. I like someone to show me how to do something. If they're telling me pound the chicken, I'd like to watch. <laughs> and if your fingers are all gross, you can't touch the screen. So it's all voice controlled. And I have to say, um, this is a great, if you like to do that, this is a great thing to have in the kitchen. And if you're going to be using this to stream music, the JBL link for you definitely has better sound than the Echo Show. Um, the Lenovo Smart Display, I would say, is a close second, but um, it's and it's splash proof. So if you get any schmutz on it while you're cooking, no problem. You can just wipe it off. And it has a privacy cover for the webcam. Oh. Smart. OK, I, I need to issue a correction. Um, <laughs> unless I'm making Italian food, I totally need a recipe. You do? Absolutely. No, (laughs) I cook amazing things, but I'm just really good at following directions. You follow all the directions perfectly. I do, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, So my bite is um, college-related. On October 1st, the FAFSA comes out, the Uh, Federal Financial Aid Form. Um, This year, for the first time ever, there will be an app. They have been testing it for a long time, supposedly with lots of feedback, um, and they're going to launch this app. The idea was, and I think this is brilliant, is that for those of you who don't know, when you fill out this financial aid, the giant federal financial aid form, you need your parents' tax information. And many, many, many kids, usually the ones who need financial aid the most, don't have a home computer with broadband. They went home, the internet access is purely on cellular and mobile phone. And Wi-Fi. So they'll be filling it out at school with their counselors and then they get to the put in your parents' tax information and they can't. Mm. And it's a huge stumbling block. So they built this app really with that in mind that kids can fill out a lot of it with the counselor, then go home and still have it on their phone and then get the information they need from their parents and fill this out. So I think that's going to be fantastic. I'm sure there'll be a bazillion bugs and problems with it because it's the first year, but I think it's a huge step forward, honestly, like the federal government's doing something correct. But because we are where we are, um, there is a company called Frank who has already built an app that actually works beautifully, supposedly. And you can follow your FAFSA through Frank. The website's actually called withfrank.org. It was built by a 26-year-old young woman, uh, entrepreneur who saw the need to help streamline financial aid for everybody. So she built this app, which I'm sure they like totally copied to build their own. Um, and I think you pay for, I don't think you pay to file the FAFSA, but I think you pay for a bunch of other stuff they can do for you, like alerts and reminders about what needs to be filed. My guess is it's similar to e-filing your taxes where there's like the free version and then there's like the paid version with TurboTax and whatever. But she built it. She's, I mean, it's, she's gotten people like billions of dollars in aid who would not have filled out their FAFSAs. Um, So if you don't like the government site or if the government site's wonky, um, you can check out Frank also. But now there's these great mobile options for doing FAFSA and an IRS link now. So you put in that information, it will pull your information automatically from the IRS into the site. So you don't have to go searching for every single piece of paper you own. 
That's amazing. We're that going- form was like so ridiculously long and arduous awful. and just well, it's awful. Trying to travel. Rebecca and my mutual friend Ellen, she described it as a colonoscopy without any anesthesia. <laughs> We're going through I think, this I right some now. Of it. My husband did some of it. My son did some. I mean, it was like a collaborative effort. And you have to honestly. do it every year. Yeah. yeah. Insane. yeah. So hopefully the app, I don't know, because I haven't, it hasn't been released yet, will save your information. It would be like a freaking miracle. So at least, you know, every year we don't have to start from scratch. If they can guarantee that it won't be hacked. Well, uh, the, IR, the IRS has never been hacked. So knock on wood. It seems like the Russians are busy trying to hack other things <laughs> and don't care about Americans' tax returns. Um, they, they don't care about your financial aid. They care more about rigging elections. So fortunate for us. Um, but anyway, that's my bite or bites. And that's it. This was such a good show. I really loved having Lisa from Grown and Flown on. I thought it was incredibly um thoughtful and like interesting conversation that you don't hear a lot when you hear usually college is so focused on these things are just how you get in how you get in right yes what scores do you need yeah right what can my kid do what can they be but this is really about like once your kid's there then what well you (laughs) know my feeling about this since we are going through this with a senior in high school i would like all of this year's episodes to be about college so just do all of my work for me. Line up. Well, we do have, we have a lot coming up. So we're going to have a financial aid episode. We do have a lot and we will get to those horrible, annoying things that everyone actually <laughs> wants to know, but wants to pretend they don't want to know. Um, so with that, that's our show for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can find us, of course, on parentingbites.com and on facebook.com slash parentingbites and really all your podcast apps. Yes. At this point, Apple Podcasts. Oh, all of them. Yeah, Google, no, we're, 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 we're on Spotify. We're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> we're everywhere you are. So just find, share, rate, review. Um, and until next week, happy parenting. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.